Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. I encourage you guys to have your Bible. I do have my notes in the back for you guys, just so you know. I've got the small group notes and like a condensed version of my teaching notes. If you want to follow along, I'll have the scriptures on screen also, just in case you're being lazy and you don't have a Bible in front of you. Okay, so Cameron, you ready? He's ready. All right, go ahead, man. Normally I'd have something funny to say, but Josh did not give me enough time in advance. I literally asked him like 10 minutes ago. So. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, church, what the Spirit says to the churches. And Father, we do. We come before you right now, and just as Cameron read the scripture, God, we continue to lean on that promise from chapter one, where if we read this aloud, if we read this together and study it together, there will just be this blessing upon us for reading your word. So Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, thank you for Cameron as as a senior, getting ready to go into the world um, as as an adult man, to be light and salt in the world around him. Father, we pray that even as we read about this church in Philadelphia tonight, Lord, this this city um, that John writes to, that our hearts would be really full of the love and the peace for the plan that you have for us. God, knowing that we don't have to have all the answers, that we won't ever have all the answers, but that we can understand that you do for sure, absolutely, 100% have a plan for us and a purpose for us. God, we praise you. We worship you tonight. Spirit, I pray that you would be amongst us tonight. Uh, filling and, Lord, working in the hearts and minds of every young man and woman in this room. Speak past my inadequacies as a man, and just, Lord, let your scripture just do what it does best. So we praise you for this night in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, so Church of Philadelphia, moving through these seven letters, excited. Just a couple more left as we move through this. Um, It's been a lot of fun reading this and studying it from a different light. I've taught through the book of Revelation. I don't know if you guys remember, but I was actually teaching high schoolers in the book of Revelation, and then the pandemic hit, and I tried to teach it on YouTube from my front porch for about 10 weeks, and I just got really tired, 
and wanted to stop doing it because I had like three views a week, and so I just got tired of doing it. So anyway, so teaching through the seven letters has just been such a joy to me. Hopefully it has been for you too as you've been studying along. If you've missed any of the teachings, you can catch them on the podcast at Jesus Famous Youth Teaching Podcast. They're there for you guys. If you ever want my notes, if we run out in the back, I can get you my notes so you can kind of go through it yourself. But tonight I titled this message, Hold Fast, Jesus Has a Plan. Hold fast, Jesus has a plan, or kind of in essence, it's like stop, stop what you're doing. Just stop it and know that Jesus has a plan. That's right, Carson, just stop. Just stop doing it. Just stop. So on the map up here, we see the church in Philadelphia. We see it's still part of that Asian minor, Asia minor that, that John is writing to, this book of Revelation, as he sends these seven letters to these seven churches. This whole area here being just such a hub of the Roman Empire as it's reaching out really into the, the unknown world. If you look at where Philadelphia is, it was kind of on the, the outskirts there, and it really it was the gateway to really the barbarian hordes. Uh, if you were a part of Philadelphia, if you were a citizen of Rome in this city, you were kind of known as, a pro, as one that would evangelize or proselytize for the Roman belief system, for the Roman way of life, the, the way of, of praising and worshiping Zeus and the other gods or worshiping Caesar as God. If you were a part of Philadelphia, if you had taken in that culture, then basically you were now a, a witness or you were now an evangelist for the Roman Empire in this city. It was known for reaching out and almost being missionaries for the way of Rome, for the Roman way of life. You were, you were pushed out into the, the, the barbarian hordes of, of Asia and, and, and Russia and these other places within uh, that, that Rome hadn't quite conquered to spread the light of Rome. And so if you were a Christian within Philadelphia, as John writes to this church, you were not just fighting against a secular culture, a secular culture which said your God is not God, or, or where they would say Caesar is Lord, and you would have to say, no, actually, Caesar is not Lord, Lord. He's just a man. Jesus is Lord. But now you are also battling against or up against this, this way of, like, hey, we're evangelizing our belief. You're evangelizing your belief. So let's just, like, be copacetic. Let's just coexist together because, really, we're all going for the same thing. We just want this utopia. We want the light of Rome. We want civilization and knowledge and books and education and, and, and all one written language. We just want to kind of all get together because Rome is the light. Because it all makes sense when everybody just speaks the same language. Everybody just does the same thing. Everybody just goes the way that they're supposed to go. When the fact is, you guys, when we look to what Jesus is calling us, he doesn't call us to this place of peace and being coexistent, does he? No, he actually says that, that there will be tension within this faith. That when you come up against even people with good intentions, it doesn't always work out because the fact is, well, I'm not looking for you to coexist. I'm looking for you to shed the light of Jesus, to show that Jesus is the only way, that he is the way, the life, and the truth, that no man comes to the Father except him. So these Christians in Philadelphia, they were in a place of, of peace or utopia in a sense. The city, that's what it desired, the culture of the city, but yet they didn't desire Jesus. And so as a Christian, you would still be in this place of challenge of showing why Jesus is better than the current culture, why Jesus is better than even education, even the Roman way of having a similar language and having people enlightened in the Roman like, way of worship and life and all that. You still, your job was still to show Jesus is better. And so I think this speaks to us in our modern culture because in a world where people can Google whatever they want and be knowledgeable in whatever type of, of 
fast as they want. There's schools and teaching, literally, where 10 years ago you could have volumes of manuscripts or volumes of, of, of lexicons to learn something. Now you can literally Google it within five minutes and just have all that information right in front of you. So it even shows how old I am, five minutes, no, within five seconds. And yet we, as Christians, still sit here going, yeah, even with all of that, all the internet, all the AI, all the information, all the knowledge, all the the education, all the the medical advancements and scientific advancement that we have today, our job is still to show that Jesus is better. That Jesus, it's not that Jesus is, he is more than those things. He's in those things, absolutely. But he is better and more than. And that's still our job today, you guys. It's still our job today. It's still our calling today. You know, when I was in college, uh, I was kind of sharing, I don't know if it was last week or week before, I was calling, sharing that I was kind of in a dark time or in a place of questioning my faith or struggling. Remember the black hair, right? Dying my hair black. I don't know if you guys remember the picture. I'm not going to show it again. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, no, I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it. Shh. The thing is that even in this time of questioning my faith and, and kind of struggling with who I was and who God was calling me to be, I was going to junior college, Sierra College up north, and I was taking like my basic classes, but then I decided to take a couple of electives, and so one of them was study of the New Testament, study of the New Testament. Now, this was a secular college, um, not a Christian college. The, the professor was secular. The class was based on a historical view of the, old, of the New Testament, a historical view of the New Testament. So, so I step into this class, and I, I, I look around. There are probably about 50, 60 kids within this class, kind of a college-looking type of uh, environment. I look up in the corner and here were, here were these guys, right? And I looked on their desk. I could see on their desk and they had like, like this many books worth of like apologetics and theology. And then these guys, these like three guys were in there. They were ready to brawl, right? They were like, we are in here ready to show why like a secular view of the New Testament is wrong. And what this book, this book that we had to buy for the class, literally it was proving, right, within this book, it was showing that the Bible was not inherent by God, but was actually written by man, so there were man's mistakes in it, okay? So we had to buy this book. I had to read it before the class. So I go sit with these Christian guys, right? And they were like, well, who's this guy, right? Like, they were, like, all prim and proper, and I had holes in my jeans and black hair and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I sit with these guys, and I realized really quick, right, as the professor was talking and people were asking questions, I could tell, like, man, there's people in this room that maybe have grown up in the church or grown up Christian or gone to youth group like you guys, and they're, like, in a place of questioning or figuring out who they are like I am. But see, these guys, they were just being jerks. I'm not joking. Like, everything the professor would say, they were just hands up. Like, nope, this is wrong. This has been proven wrong. Like, they were just jerks. They really were. They were just not nice guys. So I sat with them through one class, and I was like, well, I get what they're saying. I agree with them, but they're not being very, they're not being very loving about it. So the next class, I sat next to this girl named Brittany and her boyfriend, I can't remember what his name is, of course, um, <laughs> and I sit next to, and, and like, I started talking before class, and they were out there smoking a cigarette beforehand, and we sit down, and I'm listening to the professor, I'm listening to these guys kind of banter and like not be, not be good to the professor, loving or kind, and I start having this conversation with these two, and actually we're paired up to talk about the chapter, and I realized that both of them have been raised in the church, both of them, their parents were Christians, that, that they, had, they had been raised in a, in a good Bible-believing church, but they had both kind of walked away from the faith. They actually grew up in church together and then walked away together, and they were dating and living together. And they were in this place of like, well, we wanted to take this class because we wanted to see if everything I was taught in middle school and high school at youth group stands up to this. So then I took it upon myself, even in a place of questioning my faith or in a place of struggling, man, like, it is my job now 
to show these two people and to walk alongside of them and show them that the Bible is true, that the Bible is written by God, that there's no inherent failures or fallacies within it. So I took that upon myself within this class. And you guys, what I thought was so cool about this, because as I went through the class, I realized that this book was written by a secular historian, but that his standard of the standard of the time was about 10 years old. And 10 years before that, there was a different standard for, for ancient antiquity or, or forms of, of old writing. And then 10 years before that, there was another form. And then 10 years before that, there was another standard. And basically, they, the standard had changed, but God's word had not changed. And through this class, in a loving and grace-filled way, I got to actually have really awesome conversations with the professor and within the class where these guys were kind of like, 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 like pushed aside, right? Those guys with the books, they, they weren't really listened to anymore. They were even ignored, where even I, like, I was accepted in a place of, of sharing Jesus in a loving way, showing that the Bible was still true, even by this current standard, which just changes every 10 years. So you guys, God will open doors, even in a secular place. God will continue to, to open doors for you, even when a dark and secular place. He really will. I like that one. <laughs> Let me in, Jesus says. Why? So I can save you. From what? from what I'm going to do with you if you don't let me in. <laughs> so you guys, my story about going to college and, and being this light is, is like, even in a dark place spiritually where I was at spiritually and a secular culture that was around me, I started to see the open doors Jesus had for me to be light. See, even in the secular culture that you're growing up in right now in a world that, that really questions and, and jabs at and pulls at your faith, if you choose to be willing, if you choose to be available to God, he will open doors for you and no one will be able to shut those doors. Jesus tells the church in, 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 in uh, um, Philadelphia here that, that I will open doors for you that no man will shut. I will give you passageways to be light within this culture, even though this culture seems so well put together. Even though there's so many advances within this city and within this place, this place of Philadelphia, I will make you light. I will make you advance. I will make you, Jesus says, go through that open door and you will be victorious because I'm with you. See, he's calling us to see and walk through those open doors in faith, guys. He's calling the church in Philadelphia to do it and he's calling you and I to walk through those open doors with faith. He really is. And he's calling you to this because he will be with you. He will walk through this with you every step of the way. All right, let's get into the scripture, guys. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the keys of David, who open and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This first verse is very similar to every single letter that we've written, written so far, where, where John is writing or being told to write to the angel of this certain church and to this ch angel of the, the church in Philadelphia. He says to write this description of Jesus which every one, of we, every one of these descriptions, whether he had flaming eyes or a sword protruding out of his mouth or he was light or he was the Alpha and the Omega, in this one, he is the Holy One, the True One, who has the keys of David, who opens, no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. See, and when we come to a question like this or a scripture like this, we should ask the question, what does it say about God or what does it say about man? And see, in this, very specifically, it says it's about Jesus. And what does it tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he's holy, that he's true, that because he has the keys of David, he fulfills every one of the Old Testament prophecies. And he will ultimately, his will is ultimate and cannot be undone. See, this description of Jesus as every single one of the letter brings the Christians in that city and in that area such hope. 
you guys, that our Jesus, you guys, he is true in a world of fallacies where, the, where the, the church in Philadelphia had to deal with these spiritual fallacies and these spiritual untruths that he, we look to Jesus and he is true, that he is holy, that he's set apart more than any other religion, more than any other cult, more than any other theology. Jesus is holy. He's set apart. Ultimately, that he's true because he fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament, every single one of them. That he doesn't, he doesn't fulfill a half prophecy or some of the prophecies, but over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills those. And then ultimately, his will can't be undone. This brings us such hope. Now, this brings me to my first point. Jesus is, is in control, and you are not. Jesus is in control, and you are not. Now, why is it so important for Christians to accept that Jesus is in control of their lives? Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight and you're kind of still questioning your faith or you're in a place of faith walk, then this would be hard for you to accept. This is hard for you to read, that Jesus is actually in control of your life. He is. He made you. He knows you. Inside and out, mentally, spiritually, physically, Jesus knows you. So why is it so important for you and I, if you call yourself a Christian, to throw our hands up and say, yeah, Jesus, you're in control. I'm not. Why is it so important? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. See, it's so important for us as Christians to know that Jesus is is in control because he bought us, because he owns us, because what he did on the cross, his work on the cross, paid the price for you and I in a really glorious way. See, first off, you are no longer your own. See, when we come to our life, we have so many decisions to make. And you guys as high schoolers, like specifically upperclassmen, you're looking at the future. What are you going to do after high school? What job are you going to have? What college are you going to go to? Maybe some of you middle schoolers are so laser focused that you're like, this is what I want to be when I'm 25. This is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be about. And see, the fact is, if you don't come to the place of saying, I am not my own, I am no longer my own, then you're going to be in a place of tension against what Jesus has for your life. Now, see, the beautiful part about saying, Jesus, you are Lord, that I am no longer my own, but I am yours. A lot of times you'll find that your desires and passions and your dreams actually line up with Jesus in a really awesome way. Almost like a puzzle piece fitting together. You guys ever done a really big puzzle right, with like 10,000 pieces? And you've been looking for an hour for one piece that fits, and then you find that one that fits perfectly. You're like, oh, that's so good. I only have 9,999 to go. But hey, I found the two, right? See, when you come to that place of just accepting that Jesus is in control, you'll find that your dreams, your desires, your passions, who you want to be actually lines up really perfectly with who Jesus is calling you to be. Number two, you no longer serve yourself, but Jesus or others. See, when we just focus on ourselves in this life, we're not very happy, are we? I mean, we don't have a whole lot of peace when we're just so focused on self and we're so focused on what I want today and what I want to do today and my goals and what I desire. Like, see, we are so low focused. But see, when we're high focused, what we see is Jesus. And we see that he's calling us to serve others, to love others in really neat ways. Number three, your life has a greater purpose now than it did before Jesus. See, it's so important for us to understand that Jesus is in control Because when we realize everything that he's given us, all the salvation, all the peace, all the grace, the purpose in this life, what it shows is that before Jesus, we were kind of aimless. Before Jesus or without Jesus, we just want to fulfill self. We just want to fulfill my own pleasure, my own mental thought of who I think I am. But see, with Jesus, you guys, what that brings us is purpose. 
that, that he, he gives us a purpose and a plan that supersedes anything we can do for ourselves. And so this is important that when we come to a scripture like this that literally lines up the fact that Jesus is in control, we go, okay, Jesus, and as Christians, we need to say this. We need to accept this within our hearts. Okay, Jesus, you are in control. I'm not. You are Lord over my life. Josh is no longer Lord. And so he's saying this to the church in Philadelphia because it's important for them to understand that no matter how confusing the secular society around them could be, no matter how spiritual it felt or how, how peaceful it felt or how many half-truths there were, they needed to come back to the, the truth that Jesus, the ultimate truth, that Jesus was in control, that Jesus was in control, that, that the secular society or secular religion was not in control, that Jesus was. Now, continuing on, verse 8, he then says, I know your works, as he speaks to the church in Philadelphia like he does in many of the other letters. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus encourages the church in Philadelphia, saying, I know your works, that I've opened a door for you that I have. Jesus has opened the door. They didn't open the door. Jesus did that I've opened the door for you. No one in that society can close it. And I know that you have very little power. You have very little influence in the city of Philadelphia. He's encouraging the church that, that I know it feels like you are up against such a tidal wave of secular culture. You can ask the question, like, how can I make a change? Man, I go to school and nobody loves Jesus there. The teachers, te- like, they, they, they show how much they don't love my, my faith and how much they're against it. Right? I, I go to work, and I, I work with a bunch of non-Christians. Every song that I listen to doesn't speak about Jesus. Every TV show I can ever watch doesn't have any type of faith or Jesus in it. And we feel like we're up, up against such a tidal wave. But Jesus encourages the church in Philadelphia and us that I know you have little influence, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. See, think about this, guys. Even with the very little bit of influence and power the church in Philadelphia had, for all eternity— they are remembered as the church that did not deny Jesus' name. That they kept his word even in such huge, huge controversy, even in such huge power against them. They kept God's word and did not deny his name. What a cool thing. Maybe the church in Philadelphia had very little converts. Maybe they had very little revival. Maybe they just had a small little dinky church inside this big city. But see, they are remembered for not denying God's name and remembering his word, keeping his word. How cool is that? Now, see, as we ask the question, is this verse about Jesus or about man? We see that it's about man. And those who walk in the knowledge, power, and faith of Jesus can do amazing things that confound the world. See, where, where the, the cult of Philadelphia, the cult of Rome within Philadelphia, had all the backing power and money of Rome itself to proselytize and to evangelize the barbarian world, I'm sure there were those in that city that then looked at this, this little spark of light in the church of Philadelphia, this little spark of light that just shone so bright, and it probably confounded them. Why don't they just convert to Rome? Why don't they just bend the knee to Caesar? Why don't they just compromise? What has this Jesus done for them? Look what Rome has done for the world. But yet they would not bow, you guys. And so they were confounding the world around them. They were walking in knowledge, power, and faith for Jesus. So you as a Christian, you as a Christian have knowledge, power, and faith that is bigger than this world, you guys. See, this should encourage you, little middle schoolers, that if you walk with a knowledge, power, and faith of Jesus, you will do things. You will do things that, that confound this world. 
High schoolers, when it feels like so much of the culture is against you and your faith and your morals and your code, the fact is walk in that knowledge, power, and faith and see what Jesus does in your life. See, how do we trust that Jesus is working in our lives, guys? How do you trust as a middle schooler or high school that Jesus is working in your life? You know, I look at my own testimony with, with Erica and my kids. The fact is, you guys, that we've taken steps of faith as we've, as we've grown and matured. You know, we started, um, we, like, well, we've been married 16 years this year. And, like, when we started, right, we were young and immature. <laughs> and, and I was 20. Erica was 19. Okay, we had, we had Ellie not long after that. I had this county job, and we bought this, this house, and we had the picket white fence, and the, the, the dog, and two and a half kids, or a kid and a half, I don't know how, what the statistics are anymore, but like, we had this perfect little American life, and yet God then called us to move out of that town. He called us to step in, out of faith and actually help plant a church a couple cities away, so we sold the house. We moved out of kind of a comfort zone of a town that I grew up in. Literally, uh, the town is called Forest Hill. It's up in the northern part of California, and like I couldn't go anywhere without knowing somebody that had watched me grow up from Little League, right? that knew my family. And see, so the fact is God called us to move out to this little town of Auburn and Newcastle to help plant Calvary Chapel in Newcastle, and we got to be a part of that from a Bible study on Saturday nights all the way to a full church that's, that's thriving still today. And then from that, God then called us to even sacrifice more, and I gave up the county job, and we moved down to Santa Cruz. Right? And I was working at the downtown, Santa Cruz, or the downtown Trader Joe's in Santa Cruz. But then God provided this job at Mount Hermon Christian Camp, where then I got to run heavy equipment, and I got to work in the Redwoods and like, be this awesome like, trail builder guy. And my kids got to run around Mount Hermon like little camp kids all year round. And then from there, God moved us here to Monterey and, get, and actually ordained me for my first church job, like, pays actually pretty decent for, for a youth pastor, guys. I get to live in the, in the Monterey Peninsula. Well, Spreckles, but still Monterey, right? I mean, and, and I get to watch my kids grow up. I get to be, I get, literally get to experience God's miracle every Tuesday night when you guys show up and no one's making you show up here. I know I'm not that good of a speaker, right? I don't got, I've got some candy, but it's not like gold or anything like that. Yet you guys show up every Tuesday night to grow and to mature in Jesus. I get to experience that miracle every single Tuesday. That's amazing. And yet God has provided every single way. And you guys see, that's how I trust Jesus, that he's working in my life. That here I am, just this, this honky of a white guy in California, and yet I get to preach Jesus' name. I get to preach his name to, to countless youth and share Jesus and watch kids change and mature and grow every single day. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This just so encourages me. It should encourage you because, because I know that I may never write books. I, never, I may never be a big-time speaker, youth guy, and that's okay. With a little bit of influence that I get to have, I know that by my name will be he did not deny God's word, or he did not deny my name, and he did not give up on my word. I know that's going to be next to my life. And I'm, I, I love that. I, I, I'm okay with that, guys. And I hope you are too. He then continues to, to talk to the church in Philadelphia by saying, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. 
So even though this church had very little power, very little influence, Jesus is telling them that the culture of Satan, that remember we talked about Satan before, that he is the denier. He is the one that comes up against. He is the opposer. That the term Satan just means opposing, to oppose. And he is, the devil is given the name Satan because he opposes with every bit of who he is and every fiber of who he is, who Jesus is and what Christianity and what faith stands for. And they were up against this in the city of Philadelphia. The Christians were, but Jesus is telling them that, listen, that those that are up against you, even though with a little bit of power, a little bit of influence you have, those around you will know that you serve the living God, that they all serve idols. They all serve false deities, false gods, that even Caesar himself cannot stand against the true and living God. So we then ask the question, is this about man or Jesus? Well, this is about Jesus. He will bring justice and light to every situation. He will bring justice and light to every situation. See, Jesus will bring light to every, uh, everything attempting to hide. See, we live in a culture where, where um, social media just kind of covers things, and it's easy to scroll through and find these quote-unquote influencers, Right? And maybe they have a million views or they have a million followers. And we, we listen to what they're saying because they must be saying something truthful for, for ha- to have a million followers or a million uh, you know, views or whatever it is. I don't even know. If, is a million a lot anymore? Like, is 10 million a lot now? I mean, I don't know. But see, the thing is, you guys, they, they are just hiding behind the social influence or the, 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 the social media type screen. You don't know who this person is. You don't know what morality they have. You don't know what integrity they have. Do they cheat on their taxes? Are they, are they a kleptomaniac, right? Are they, are they addicted to some type of substance? You know, do they beat dogs and kick dogs on the side? I don't know. Like, you don't know who this person is. I don't know who they are. But see, we call them influencers because they hide behind this screen. I hope you guys are following me with this. And you guys see Jesus will bring light to this because ultimately, do we trust that Jesus will proclaim ultimate justice? See, the question is, no matter how much somebody can influence through YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, see, do we trust that, that over all of whatever truths or pseudo-truths that they're spitting, that Jesus is ultimately bigger, that Jesus will ultimately bring justice bigger than any of them could ever bring, more than any type of, of movement or social justice that could come in your guys' generation, do we believe that Jesus is so much bigger? See, ultimately, like I said, do we trust that Jesus will proclaim ultimate justice? See, world and time. Right? When we look at the past, the present, and the future, there's been a lot of wrongs done. Humanity can be really wicked to each other. We can, we can destroy life in insane amount of numbers. And we've seen that even in the 21st century. But see, God will bring justice to all past, present, and future offenses. We have to believe that, Christians, that no matter what atrocities have happened within this world, Jesus will ultimately bring justice for those wrongdoings. See, social justice... See, everything wrong that has been done to, the ra- to any type of race or gender or ethnic creed, God will make that right. We actually read about that in the end of, end of Revelation, that, that every tongue, every creed, every person, and every type of people will bow and praise God together. Right? It's not like, 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 like it's, anyway, they'll praise God together, okay? See, social justice works kind of weird, you guys. See, no matter where you stand on the uh, the the, the spectrum of social justice, whether you're, let's say you have a BLM person over here and you have a KKK white supremacist over here. They're both screaming. Listen, they're both screaming justice. They both have their own idea of justice. They really do. And you're not going to convince one or the other that they're wrong. So justice is really, by you and I, by our standards, can, can be anywhere on a spectrum. 
But see, when we look to Jesus, we can find truth in what's true in these things. We can look to Jesus and we can sift through their own specific opinions or their own specific perspective of things and see what real truth is, what real justice is. And so much of what we call justice as humans, you guys, it, it really it falls short of what the justice that Jesus will bring one day. And when he brings all humanity together and he makes all things new and ultimately then personal. See, maybe there's some of you in this room that, that have had real injustice done to you in this life. Whether it's maybe choices that you made or whether it's some, a choice that someone else made that, that came upon you. You've had real injustice has happened to you, but see, whatever has happened to you in this life will be made right in the life, in this life or the next. See, we believe that Jesus will make things right. He, maybe it will be made right here. But see, as you grow as an adult, you may come to the realization that, that things just sometimes stay broken in this life, but we trust that Jesus will make it right in the next. See, towards the end of Revelation chapter 21, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For former things have passed away, and he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, there's a beautiful promise of Jesus, and this brings us back to Jesus will bring uh, light to everything trying to hide. He will bring justice to everything that has been broken and wronged, you guys. See, this would be so encouraging to the church in Philadelphia and encouraging to us because they would have seen all kinds of things wrong. They would have seen this big, glorious Roman cult of, that's pushing light and, and education and art into the world, but yet they would see the Colosseums. They would literally see the, the millions of slaves within the Roman Empire. They would see the millions of, of abandoned children that literally could just be left on the side of the street because the father of the Roman house deemed him not worthy. The Christians were the ones that came behind and picked up these children and started orphanages. They were the ones that went out to the slaves and fed them and showed them that they are worthy of God's love because they are created. See, they would have seen such, like, like such hypocrisy within the Roman world, but yet they understood and they believed that Jesus would make all things new, that he would make all social injustice, all type of injustices right. What a beautiful promise to us even today, guys. Now, continuing on in verse, go back, sorry. Continuing on in verse 10 through 11, he says, Because you have kept my words about patience, endurance, I will keep you from the hour of the trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, hold fast that you have, so that no one may seize your crown. So then, continuing on, what Jesus then promises them is listen, because you have kept my word, because you have patiently endured through the secular culture, through the, 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 endure, the, the tribulations that you're going through, like, I will make you hold fast. I will give you the strength to hold fast. And basically what this tells us about man is there is a temporal and eternal reward for those who patiently endure and hold fast to Jesus. So hopefully from like my testimony, and maybe you know some other older Christian men and women that will tell you their testimony, you see that there's a physical, a temporal type of reward for serving Jesus right here and right now. There is a, a peace, there is a reward for serving Jesus and holding fast to his word, for holding fast to who he is right here and right now. But then there is also the internal reward of holding fast to Jesus. Basically, you guys, we need to endure. We need to hold fast and trust that Jesus has a plan. No matter what culture tells you, no matter what you come up against in this life, young Christian, you need to endure. You need to hold fast. You need to trust that Jesus does have a plan for your life. Now, how do we hold fast? 
How do we hold fast to Jesus' promises over our lives? How do we do that, guys? Well, first, this is a simple one, but we need to understand this. We need to read and pray every day. You need to read the Bible and you need to pray every day, guys. See, see, get to know you guys. We need to get to know the God who made you and has a plan for your life. See, if you don't read, if you don't pray, how will you get to know the God who is promising these things to you? How will you get to know if God is promising things? If you're hearing me say that God promises this to you, but you've never read the Bible, you've never prayed, you've never sought God over these, all you're doing is hearing my voice. All you're doing is saying, Josh said God has a promise for me. Josh said God has a purpose for me. That will not hold fast. That will not endure because as soon as a trial comes, my word means nothing. My word crumbles, you guys. I can't be there to hold your hand through every single trial, but God can. So you need to read and you need to pray every single day. Get to know the God that is promising these things to you. We need to patiently endure, it says. See, even when it seems Jesus is not there, trust that he is there and he has not abandoned you. See, we've talked about this, and if even in your young Christian life, hopefully you've came to a place of foundation that you know that Jesus will not leave you. That no matter what you go through in this life, even when it feels like he's not there, he is there. That he's, he is there, that he holds you. The whole purpose of these seven letters is to show these churches in these seven cities that Jesus is there, that he holds you in his right hand, that he walks amidst the seven lampstands, that he is there with you. And ultimately it says, hold fast. Whatever the promises are that Jesus has given you, trust that those promises will happen no matter what. See, maybe you haven't experienced a promise from the Lord yet, but see, if you were to read the word of God, you would start to see these promises. That you would start to see these, these small promises God has for you. Psalms 138 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. See, even a small verse like that can ensure you and, 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 and put a foundation within you, young Christian, that God has you, that he has purpose for you, and he will not leave you. All right, last bit, guys. You guys still with me? Yeah, okay. Two more minutes, guys. Two more minutes. Okay, verse 12 and 13 says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of the heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as he finishes this letter, he reminds the church in Philadelphia, if you've got one ear, you better listen. How many in here have two ears? So listen a lot, okay? That's basically what he's saying, okay? Now this is talking about Jesus. He will build in his, in his conquering Christians an ability to be pillars in the coming kingdom. So you guys, as we hold fast, as we, as we conquer, and we've talked about this, as he calls those that conquer, those that actually conquer over the flesh, the devil, and the world, you guys, when we conquer, basically what he's saying is, I'll make you a pillar within my kingdom. See, what are the, some, of, some of the promises the Lord has given to you guys? What are some of the promises he given, he's given to you? I hope that even at your young age, you can look to the Bible, you can look to God and say, all right, I can see where God has promised some things to me. Now, let me give you some general ones. These are some of the things that I remind myself, that Pastor Josh reminds himself when he's in a dark place or he's in a place of questioning or struggling. And yes, you guys, I still do because I'm not perfect. But see, these are some of the things I remind myself. So first off, you are saved from sin and death. You no longer have to live as a dying and condemned man. I can remind myself that sin and death have no, no longer have a hold on me. Number two, you are adopted into God's family and kingdom. You are loved and wanted. I have to remind myself this, that I'm not just some abandoned kid. I'm not just some wayward kid. I'm not just pushed into the corner, but I am adopted. I am loved by God. 
that I am known by him. Number three, if you stay usable and available, God will use you for a worthy purpose. This is a promise God gave me many years ago when I was 18 years old, that Joshua, if you stay usable and available, I will use you. And I have to keep reminding myself of this. Number four, even if life is tough, unfair, and difficult, it will all work out one day. So you have to remember that no matter how difficult life is, no matter how unfair life is, God promises me that it will work out. Number five, he will continue to grow, mature, and make you a better man as you stay humble before your God. Number six, I am part of a legacy bigger and better than anything I could have built. And number seven, I will, send, I will spend eternity in my God's kingdom where there is no tears, pain, or sadness. I will bask in my Lord's love, and he will delight in me as his good servant who has, who has fulfilled his calling. See, I remind myself of these things because these are the truths that Jesus has given me. These are the promises that I've got from my God, you guys, and I hope that you can maybe glean from some of these and start to apply these to your own life. See, this is what it looks like to be a conquering Christian, guys. See, I didn't put in here, Josh, remember to be perfect today. Josh, remember never to sin. Josh, remember you have to be the best husband out there. You have to be the best youth pastor in the world. You gotta be the best dad. No, see, all those things will fall. Those are all based on me and my strength. But see, every one of these promises, you guys, every, one of, every seven of those are based on God. I'm based on the things he's done for me, the things that he's promised to me that I know he will fulfill. And lastly, a couple applications for you guys. You guys, first off, start each day accepting God is in control and you are not. I just encourage you. When you wake up tomorrow morning before your feet hit the ground, before you go to the bathroom, because everyone goes to the bathroom when they wake up, like, before you do that, just go, God, you're in control today. I'm not. Start doing that. Number two, daily take small steps of faith and trust that you are growing. Right? Even when it doesn't feel like you're growing, take small steps of faith as God opens those doors for you guys. Number three, do not lean on your own sense of justice, right? but trust that God will bring ultimate justice. Right? We have a strong sense of justice as humans, guys. We really do. But lean on God's sense of justice, his ultimate justice. Number four, no matter how bad this season feels, trust and know that Jesus is there. No matter how bad it is, right, guys, no matter how bad it is right now, guys, trust that Jesus is there. Number five, continue to be conquerors and trust the promises God has for you. Continue to, to conquer each and every day, you guys. Conquer the flesh, the sin, or the devil, and the world, and see how God works. So, Father, we thank you so much for this time. I pray that you would bless small groups as we go out and we just spend the rest of this night together. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.